Welcome to the Loop Podcast. Um, I'm Liam Bartholomew, VP of Marketing here at Cognizant, and I have with me uh, HubSpot's Director of Marketing uh, Media, Carl Denhoff. So welcome, Carl. It's really great to have you here. Yeah. Hi, Liam. Thanks for having me. Um, our pleasure. Um, so, Carl, to give uh, our listeners some context, can you share a little bit about the size of the marketing team at HubSpot and where your role kind of sits exactly within that? So I think when I think about this question, I thought, I just imagine the HubSpot marketing team is actually massive. So <laughs> people probably want to kind of get an understanding of how it all, all fits together. Yeah, that's fair. It's uh, it's definitely grown uh, over the last couple of years. I think globally we're three or 400 marketers, but you have folks who are working in region um, as we expand into other markets. Uh, where I sit within the organization is in a department called HubSpot Media. The way I describe it to folks is we sit between brand marketing and acquisition. We operate all of HubSpot's media properties. So HubSpot has a blog that many people are familiar with. It's been up for over a decade and provides a lot of how-to education. But we also operate an industry newsletter in The Hustle. We have new YouTube channels and podcasts. So we're really focused on owned media, what we call HubSpot Originals, uh, and then partnerships with creators. So we're working with a lot of independent creators who produce their own podcasts, YouTube channels, and newsletters. And some of our some of our efforts are built to help support the brand team and growing our awareness. But then some of our efforts are focused on acquisition. Can we drive leads for for the business? So I sit kind of top middle of the funnel um, and am supported by the the other teams I mentioned. Awesome. Actually, it must um, it's because you've got like the what is really some of the the old media assets like the HubSpot blog, which is basically like yeah, it's almost like. They got the strength of legacy media of a blog now for B two B. That must like yeah, help sure. bringing having that type of like media asset must help bring in like creators because people actually want to they want to feature on like a blog like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. So the the HubSpot blog we we've shared this uh, publicly. We had done some research with Similar Web, and if you're looking at organic traffic monthly, we're we're producing as much traffic as Inc. and Entrepreneur and Harvard Business Review. The blog is a you know a significant media property, and so we do. It does allow us to connect with creators and say, hey, like we might be able to offer you a column on our blog. Uh, it may allow us to promote something you're working on, but also bring your expertise and credibility to our readers. And so it's certainly been a great asset for us as we've built out other media properties and partnerships. That's really exciting. And it's cool to see, yeah, HubSpot start from like basically kick something off with like SEO and, and like blanche sure. and now moving into all other media assets like you like you said like podcasts and things like that as well it's cool yeah um yeah it's been a big transition you know it's i think it's it's a matter of um where our customers are i think you're seeing like some bigger consumer trends right like more folks are getting their information on youtube mm -hmm. and listening to podcasts on their commute or at the gym and so you want to be able to produce content and formats people are are searching for and engaging with and so that's really been the last two years of our work is figuring out okay what's that balance in our mix from seo to more like influence creator driven content um and audio and video formats yeah it's like we did this really well what's next <laughs> yeah yeah um 
So yeah, we've recently been thinking a lot about making our marketing memorable um, and the factors that then play into memory. Um, so what's your approach to creating memorable B2B marketing content at HubSpot? Uh, do you have like any key principles that you follow? Yeah, it's a good question. We talk, our team talks about like really two things. So one, one is I always steal this line. Um, there's a blog I love, Ad Age. George Tannenbaum is uh, the writer. He was a former creative director, copy chief at Ogilvy, I think. And he had this one line that was people like brands that act like people they like. And people like to laugh, cry, and learn. And like we use that, the learn um, um, piece of his statement because we really just believe in providing education. Like, can we help someone who's a marketer, a business owner, a sales rep just do their job better? And so we're really focused on can we create content that's helpful and can help guide people? Um, and I think we also talk about always offering value before asking for anything in return. So when it comes to our principles, we're saying, okay, we're going to give away free industry news, free expert commentary, free education. And hopefully, hopefully over time, audiences will say, you know what, HubSpot's really been a big help to me in my career. I'm in a position to buy some software. Uh, I'd really like to consider them. And so that's the way we approach it is I think you want to make sure that you're offering value consistently and then also make it memorable, right? Just make, have a personality, have a, have a point of view on things. And I think you'll start to attract audiences and eventually prospects. Yeah. And I suppose you kind of touched on this, but this sub question was like, how are you thinking about associating yourself to category entry point Mm. buying triggers? And I suppose that kind of comes into what you were saying about um, providing that value to someone's job role to their everyday life and that will be like the the trigger that like associates yeah they associate them with with your category and and then buying as well sure yeah i think when when you're looking about like at our go-to-market we have a strategy team and they're saying okay what's the core objective who's the audience we're trying to reach and then what channels can we use to reach that audience And depending on the objective, you know, it may be like fill our sales pipeline in a given quarter, or it may be, hey, we just want to bring this to market and then grow it slowly over time. Those those channel strategies and content strategies change. But I think we look at them the same, which is just, okay, what content can we create that's going to be valuable? Uh, And a lot of times it just comes down to who's our target audience? What are some of the pain points that they're facing? What are the things that they're searching for actively? And can we go create a piece of content that helps them? Like it just answers their their questions, provides them a perspective. Um, and hopefully, as I mentioned before, like over time, they're just going to see us as a trusted source of information. And if we're a trusted source of information, hopefully we can be a you know trusted software provider eventually uh, once they're ready. Yeah, yeah. No, it makes perfect sense. We always talk about this. Yeah, just kind of providing value to give to, to give away no questions asked um and you kind of get sure. yeah get your respect and like and like admiration from that um and then yeah that gets associated with with uh what you what you sell as well which i, I know for a fact is what hubspot um already like uh if you, like people don't just think of hubspot as the yeah the marketing automation crm provider they also think about content first as well i think 
Sure. And that's actually uh, one thing we're challenged with. I think our approach is, is strong, but people know us for a bunch of different things. They know mm -hmm. us for the blogs. They know us for Academy, right? Mm -hmm. You can sign up certification. They know the software. Um, I think we've done a lot of things and we've really built an ecosystem to be able to help small businesses. Um, so there's multiple entry points. And then from there, okay, once folks come in to the ecosystem, how do we nurture them and introduce them to the products themselves, which I think is a little different than other B2B brands I see, or even consumer brands, they lead with the product, right? They come right out and they're like, here's why you should buy me. Uh, and this is why it'll help you. And I think there's a point in time for that, but um, I do believe like long-term having the ecosystem and multiple touch points does benefit the business. Yeah, there's other, yeah, you're right. There's other like, other like, especially B2C companies will leave with the products and then you'll find out some sort of, some sort of community or content afterwards. Whereas I suppose in your case, you could have, you know, someone who's completed the HubSpot Academy, they, they turn up to inbound, they read the blog <laughs> and then afterwards, you know, a few years later, they find out about HubSpot as a, like a tool being actually yeah. being able to help them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we kind of know that there's, and there's this idea that, you know, you have two parts to your, to your brain, like one side that's like processing emotion and the other side, um, that's processing like the logical side, like, uh, and memory, sure. um, and that actually emotion and, and memory are very but are tied together uh, like heavily. So if you have a like emotional reaction or experience, you remember something way better than um, something boring um, and innocuous. That's why you always always remember the party, but never the taxi ride home as well, I think. <laughs> sure, sure. So how are you thinking about this in terms of B2B? And do you have any examples of campaigns where you've like, purposely sort of like exploited this to sort of like trigger that sparking of emotion to to get uh people to remember it yeah i think like if you if you talk to our brand marketing team we have a campaign and market right now all about q4 mm -hmm. um and it's it's for the sales sales audience right the director of sales the sales reps and how q4 is just such an important quarter for them to be able to close new deals and and close out the business strong and i think they did a really nice job tying in other um, other uh, cultural elements of Q4, whether it's a football game um, or or otherwise. And so we're trying to figure out like where's the where's the messaging tie-in from our product and the message we want to put into market and to what's happening culturally, whether it's sports or music or. Uh, cooking and events. I will say for for HubSpot, one of the things that we firmly believe in is to create those emotional experiences. You really do need to invest in experiential and events. Mm -hmm. And I think you mentioned inbound earlier being uh, an industry conference we've invested in for quite some time. And I think that's really where we provide a great experience for people, whether they're a prospect or a current customer, or just someone who's looking to network. They're able to come to this event. They're able to get free education from the breakout sessions. They're able to uh, uh, network with other folks in their industry or other vendors. And I think you're able to create those memorable experiences for them in two to three days. And so I think events and in-person uh, actually carry a lot of weight, especially with folks moving to more remote work. 
sure, we're going to have, you know, some emotional tie in into our advertising and our content. But at the end of the day, I think events actually uh, have a significant amount of value because uh, people are going to fewer of them. And so if they decide to come to your event, you want to make sure it's special for them. Mm-hmm. I've not actually been to Inbound, uh, but uh, seen sort of like the promotion for it, like and like mm-hmm. advertising around it. And like you always have big as like some big keynote that yeah is i suppose is the main the main objective is for them to uh, inspire and like create that emotional connection more than it is that they're going to be related to like b2b <laughs> marketing or, or sales right so yeah i think that's fair i mean the the big names are definitely a draw right mm-hmm. i think we'd be lying if we didn't say that they're 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 a big draw to the keynotes but when you're at the event those are very inspirational mm-hmm. and then there's also a bunch of breakouts and additional stages and programming and that's where we have industry experts talking about things they're working on results from their latest campaigns or programs um we do fireside chats and interviews with folks and those get a ton of engagement where folks are just sitting and learning and taking notes and there's active q a's with those experts and i think there's a nice balance there i think whatever event you hold whether it's a small local event a large regional event or even a national international event you want to make sure that that value is there so someone can say oh i you know i filled out 20 pages in my notebook and i'm taking that back to my team to try and implement some things so i think that's where b2b can really um pull in some more memorable emotional experiences for folks where they're saying i had an incredible time at this event i met some incredibly smart people and now i can bring that back you know and and use that for my own team yeah no i totally agree um so I suppose we discussed events in this, but um, in your sure. experience, like what other strategies or t- tactics have been particularly effective in creating memorable brand ad aware- uh, ads for awareness or um, positioning in the in the B two B B two B space? Yeah, I think the way we look at it is there's this balance. So I mentioned the Q four ad campaign our brand marketing team is running, which is we're going to try and push a message into the market uh, to help position our product and attract folks. And hopefully that message is able to connect with them during that period of time. But I think you also can balance that with always on content marketing or what we call media. Um, And we create emotional connections through our storytelling. Um, Our hustle team, uh, the hustle is a, a newsletter, daily newsletter, business and tech newsletter, Please subscribe if you don't today. But um, within that newsletter, we, we cover the headlines in business and tech, but we also do some original storytelling. We do things like the economics of Spotify or the business of Thanksgiving. Um, and one of the things our producers told me earlier this week, she had said, I want to find interesting stories, but I also want to identify memorable characters, people who are on camera, who are engaging and the audience can connect to. And we recently did this one about this unknown empire, this business that builds backdrops um, for photographers. And this woman has built an entire business around painting custom backdrops for photographers at media companies. And it's just a really interesting story. And she had such a great story to tell personally. 
but the entire video is wrapped around her business and how to grow a small business and how to build a customer base. But instead of doing the B2B, you know, um, tactical checklist of how to build a business, we told the story. We were like, here's someone who did it. And here's it's someone you didn't know. It's someone who built a very successful business. And here are the customers they attracted and how they did it. And there's that emotional tie-in. And so I think some brands definitely um, can learn from that, which is like, can you tell original stories mm-hmm. for your audience um, and then have a thread that ties back to your core objective, which is your business and your software. Uh, it's a tough balancing act, but I do think other than, you know, the traditional brand advertising, ongoing storytelling can have a big impact too. Mm-hmm. That's like changing, flipping content marketing from being, yeah, like tactical, potentially SEO focused to being working mm-hmm. like a journalist and going to find the story. Exactly. In- I'm interested, I suppose, in how the team does that because I, I think we've tried to do similar things before and it's like it's hard to train sure. or, or, or like organize a team to be able to go out and find find the story a story that's interesting to write about and to like speak about and do, is there like sure. methodology that you guys employ behind it or like yeah do you have like a yeah it's a great question it's actually really tough i think folks that come from an seo content marketing background or are trained on a specific type of content and that content works. That's a huge part of our portfolio and that still attracts a large audience for us. But there are folks on our team that come from media companies. They come from journalism backgrounds. And so they were trained on how to find the story. What's the interesting hook? How do you identify um, uh, an engaging character that you can have on screen or on mic? And so what we've found actually by bringing the hustle into HubSpot those people and those skills have blended, which has been a really cool evolution is I think you have the data driven content marketers and the story driven journalists working together. um, And we've seen some nice results from that. And I think as you build out your marketing team, sometimes depending on your core objective, sometimes you're just hiring differently. Mm -hmm. You're saying, okay, I want to invest in a media property. It's going to be top of funnel for me. It's going to be more storytelling. I'm going to go find a journalist. I'm going to go find a producer and bring them into your marketing team so they can help you create ongoing media um, and pair them with the growth marketer, right? And I think those two things working uh, together uh, can be really impactful. Yeah, yeah. No, and it's so true that there's this, yeah, the two sides to the content that you produce, like, yeah, maybe the more analytical and, uh, you know, bottom of funnel productive content and then that super important like right. top of funnel media like story based content that I think quite often actually companies get stuck in doing one or the other <laughs> so they're either creating yep. a ton of like great like maybe thought leadership but not actually putting themselves in position to be able to capture demand or they're doing just lots of listicles sure. and 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 like high intent keywords and then not really giving anyone any value and and then you kind of miss the benefits of either one um sure and like think about you can blend that right so say one thing we're talking about which i think is really interesting is we'll still do the keyword research and let's say um we want to create a uh, blog post on instagram marketing 
And the intent is to learn how to do Instagram marketing well and grow your business. Now, the traditional playbook would be, okay, we're going to go out, do research. We're going to create a step-by-step guide on how to do this well. We're going to link to industry examples. But in the future, if you think of it like a journalist or a storyteller, you may say, okay, what are the top brands that have done this well? And who are the marketers that work at those brands that know how to build this from the inside? I want to reach out to them. I want to talk to them on LinkedIn. I want to actually bring them in. Maybe I interview them. Maybe I give them the byline and let them tell their story. Here's how I think about it. Here's how we built this. Um, here are the resources I needed to make it happen. And you connect with the person uh, who made the thing. And so you're still targeting the keyword. You're still providing value and answering the question that the, the broad audience has. But the way that you're covering it is more editorial in nature. And you're, you're building the um, education you're providing around the person and their credibility as opposed to the brand and the brand's uh, checklist uh, is the way you know we think about it. So I do think you'll need a balance because some, some queries definitely lend themselves to quick how-to listicles like you mentioned. That's what people are looking for. That's going to provide the most value. But there's also some keywords you can go after and provide uh, a perspective and an editorial perspective on it. Um, And so we're working on that as a team, too, is figuring out, like, who are the credible experts that can cover these topics? And can we give them a column to write about it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That's yeah, that is the way like of blending them together. It's like you're still matching the search intent being where people want to find it, but then actually providing them with something that's actually interesting <laughs> basically yeah, yeah. Like, yeah and like, yeah and insightful because yeah you can get so many of the you can get so many blogs that match the search intent but you would just skip skip over because they're not they're not providing you anything any unique point of view on it like you said which makes it memorable yeah and like er- earlier you mentioned that how is it memorable people are attracted to people so it if there is, I, I think we all, you know, subscribe to Substack newsletters. We listen to podcasts. We don't necessarily subscribe or listen because of the branding of the, the Substack. I actually subscribe to it because of the person who is writing it. I want to hear their perspective. And a lot of times they're able to articulate things clearly that I'm thinking about in my head, but I hadn't put it together mm-hmm. yet. And so I think that's what we're trying to figure out is what are the topics we want to be known for? Who are the people that have the credibility to talk about those topics? And then can we build audiences by putting those people in place and giving them the byline? Um, And I think that's how brands are going to have to think about things going forward. Think about people internally. Think about partnerships with external creators. They're the ones who are actually attracting the audience and the traffic and the subscriber base. Um, it gives people a reason to follow you. And then you become memorable, right? Is, oh, I'm coming back every week. As opposed to, I clicked on a link, I read this thing, and I never came right, back. Right, right. Yeah. We, yeah. Um, we call that, like, when you're coming when we've got you maybe the idea to get people trapped in that cycle where they're coming back for the same information over and over again we like call it value loops so we get someone caught in that in that loop of of like requiring value from you and like that's where they get it is your podcast or your or like yeah your blog or, or something like that or like the newsletter yeah and once they're in that value loop 
I think we miss, sometimes we try to be too promotional in that value mm -hmm. loop. Sometimes marketers will plug the product or service too quickly or it feels jarring. I think we're trying to figure out once your audience is in that value loop, you're consistently providing them education or ideas. Being thoughtful about how you introduce your product and services is really important too, um, to be able to convert audiences because you don't want to turn them off, right? You'll you'll immediately have people unsubscribe or or not listen if you're overly promotional. So that's another thing for brands to think about is make it memorable, bring people back, but then how do you retain them, mm -hmm. right? Like how do we make sure that um, they continue to find value and eventually get introduced to to what we're selling? For sure. And then this question, I suppose you probably answered it in some ways, but uh, like with the idea of like leading with people, um, would sure. be, and there might be other elements to it of, of how you how you view it. But for education and thought leadership content, um, how do you design yeah. that educational content um, that so that it captures like your audience's attention and encourages them then to later engage with your brand? Yeah, I think it depends on the format, right? Um, I, I mentioned a little earlier, we have this like planning framework around what's the core objective, who's the audience, what channel are we using to reach that audience, and then what content do we create for that channel? And so you have content playbooks or guidelines depending on the channel. I think for a blog post, you want to make sure you're offering value in that first paragraph and then you're helping guide them through the article to keep them on site longer and ultimately introduce them to the product. Similar with YouTube, I think with YouTube, a lot of brands in particular will try to have this long intro at the beginning. Here's who I am. Here's why I'm here. This is what I'm going to talk to you about. But the YouTube platform rewards brevity and like in the first 10 seconds, hook them with the value, introduce them to what they're going to get out of the video. What's the value by the end of this video? And then keep strong pacing throughout the video to keep folks engaged and finish the video. Uh, with podcasts, I think longer format podcasts do really well. People gravitate to the host. They're there um, on the commute, at the gym, uh, while they're working, and they want to listen to them for 40 minutes, 60 minutes to hear their perspective on something. Um, so I think we design our content formats a little differently based on who the audience is and what channel we're using. Um, but overall, I think the team's always iterating. That's the other thing I would share with folks is, you know, you have your hypothesis. This is the type of blog post I think will work, or this is the type of video video that will work. Um, a lot of times it doesn't, right? Like a lot of times it just flops and people are bouncing off the site or not converting. And at that point, your growth marketers and your editorial team need to sit down and say, okay, that wasn't the right format. What's the right format going forward? Um, so that's one thing that we really uh, encourage our teams. We, we have this saying internally, put it on the site. Mm -hmm. Like if you have an idea, it's a good hypothesis. Put it on the site. Get it up there. See how the audience reacts. Um, and if we need to change it, we'll change it. But if it does really well, let's iterate on it and learn from there. And I suppose with that, um, do you have any preferred ways of distributing um, some of the marketing media? Mm -hmm. I suppose this will vary between like the, the content format. But um, yeah, do you have any channel preferences and anything that is working sort of better for you now or um than it was before or like yeah what's the what's almost i suppose your your channel of the moment 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it, it does depend. I know I keep saying that it depends on the audience, but, uh, I think at the end of the day, we're still seeing what most marketers are seeing, which is organic search and, and Facebook and Google are driving a significant amount of, of traffic and demand for the business. But, I mentioned earlier in our conversation, there's these like fundamental shifts happening in the way that people consume information, right? Like Instagram and TikTok usage is way up. Substack has a large user base. You have more people listening to podcasts, more people heading to YouTube. And so you have to figure out, okay, who's my core audience and where do they spend their time? And then you have to invest your resources in that channel. And you're going to have ongoing content on that channel. Let's use YouTube, for example. Now on YouTube, we want to grow organically. So we're looking at what monthly search volume is on certain keywords on the platform. We're producing videos that answer those queries and ultimately will rank well. But YouTube also rewards us suggested videos uh, through its suggested video algorithm, things that are more trends and newsworthy. So we have to, in our mix, figure out, okay, how do we develop videos that are about topics people are talking about right now. Recently, a couple of our YouTube channels published um, commentary on the OpenAI saga, right? And like, that's because people are actively looking for it on the platform and will maybe get picked up by the suggested video algorithm. The other thing we think about with YouTube, which are two plays that I think folks should try, kind of newer for us, one is it rewards new videos that get high viewership early on. And so we'll publish a video to our channel and we'll distribute it in our email newsletter within 24 hours. And that will drive clicks to the new video and ultimately viewership to a new video. And we're starting to see the algorithm reward that and say, oh, wow, this video was published, you know, and within 12 hours it had X number of views. Maybe we should show that to more of our our viewers on the platform. The other thing that we're starting to invest in is cross-platform promotion. Mm -hmm. Some of our videos that we make for YouTube actually do really well on YouTube Mm -hmm. or excuse me, on Facebook. So we'll actually post them on Facebook, do a Facebook ad campaign to drive viewers into YouTube. Mm -hmm. And because YouTube is more of a universal platform or application, there's not a drop off. People are on Facebook, they click, they head over to YouTube. They're very familiar with YouTube and they watch the video. And those videos have a pretty high average view duration from people coming from Facebook. Mm-hmm. And so those are some places uh, we're looking into is sure, we're going to try to bring in as much viewership as we can through organic search. Uh, but we can also do cross promotions with our email newsletters and our Facebook page. Uh, and those seem to be working. Well. Yeah, I love that. There's actually some really good hacks in there that people should take away. Yeah. So yeah, I love that. That's super actionable. Um, and how do you, um, how do you do your reporting on, on, uh, I suppose how your audience engages and therefore remembers your content, um, do you, yeah, it's like, are you focused on those engagement metrics? Do you track anything through to conversion, like working on self-reported attribution or surveying as well? Like, um, yeah, super interested sure. to know how you do it. Yeah, it a lot of times it depends who you're reporting to, right? Uh, I think different levels in the organization care about different KPIs. We set individual KPIs for every channel. Um, We generally categorize them into four buckets. So you have reach, you have audience, you have quality, and you have demand. So reach metrics for us would be traffic, Mm -hmm. 
viewership, unique opens? How many people are you reaching uh, and how many people are consuming your content? Then when you talk about audience, we're looking at our subscriber numbers. Are people not only consuming our content, but subscribing to receive it on a weekly or daily basis? Um, are we able to build audience? From a quality standpoint, our writers and production teams are looking at things like um, average time on site. They're also looking at uh, minutes watched or minutes consumed because we want to understand our audiences liking what we're making? Are they sticking around? Um, are they spending more time with us? One thing I talk about with our leadership team is, you know, a, a Facebook ad could be very targeted and valuable, but you're only interacting with an audience for less than five seconds. It's something in their feed and then it's gone. Someone who listens to a podcast for 45 minutes has a very deep relationship with you. And so we want to look at those quality metrics and make sure that whatever we're creating, uh, the audience is, is certainly interested in. The last is demand, which goes back to your question. At the end of the day, our media needs to help grow the business. And so we're focused on how do we convert audiences, readers, viewers, listeners into demand for HubSpot. And we're able to track it all the way through a lead mm -hmm. and eventually a deal with the sales team. We do that primarily through our tagging strategy and our UTMs. Um, but we do for every single program, we set those metrics and we have reporting dashboards that are updated daily and weekly. Yeah. I always think about it that you have what well, I like the engagement metrics on one side. Um, which you've got your like key um, metrics that you have different benchmark for across, which will vary yep. depending on channel, long form, short form. Um, but that gives you an idea of, I suppose, how well your content's doing. And then you have your conversion metrics on the other side, which then obviously is like your, your measure of how well the demand is being created. But you can't, you have to measure them both separately and kind of layer them over each other because you can create a ton of engagement that maybe like, three, four months later, six months later, will generate a low demand. Sure. And if you don't, if you switch it off right at the beginning, just because I'll be like, no, that doesn't work because I haven't seen the conversions yet. You'll kill the whole, the whole point of that content before it's even begun. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think like with each of our channels, we do assign two KPIs, a primary and secondary. The primary tends to be demand and the secondary tends to be reach, mm -hmm. right? Are we growing our reach and is that reach turning into demand for the business? But when you go into the tab for individual channels, there's a ton of information there in regards to consumption, engagement, um, because you're exactly right. Like we need to make sure that what we're making is resonating with the audience. And if we make good content, if it's helpful, uh, if it provides um, a, a uh, perspective and, and expert commentary for the audience, then eventually they will convert. Mm -hmm. They will convert. We just need to be smart in how we do it. And I think you're right. And in, in your recommendations, if you're not measuring the consumption and engagement metrics, you're going to miss the other piece. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not, it's not, um, it's not like direct response advertising, right? It's not this easy, uh, not easy, but necessarily, uh, directly attributable, you know, one click, equals a lead or, or a sale. Um, I think you need to measure all of it to make sure you're doing it well. For sure. No, totally agree with that. Um, and how important is um, consistency in messaging and design um, for mm. you in terms of like building that memorable 
experience and and b2b uh brand yeah this is a this is actually like an internal debate we have a lot um i think when it comes to our core brand hubspot the software um we have a brand style guide and we have guidelines around how we create content and materials for the marketing sales and support organization and i think you'll see those guidelines in our brand advertising, you'll see it in our social media, you'll see it in our events, that core HubSpot brand. And I think those pillars of um, consistency are incredibly important so that you're recognized, right? People know the orange, they know the sprocket, they know the font, they know the color palette, we're a little more friendly and approachable. Um, But when it comes to media properties, I think audiences know when something is a commercial entity. So if you overly brand your YouTube channel or you overly brand your newsletter, audiences are just going to say, oh, that's just HubSpot trying to sell me something, Mm. right? Um, I think there's, we actually have this spectrum internally within our guidelines where you have the core brand, we have some endorsed brands, and then you have what we call creator brands where they're able to stretch Uh, and be able to have some independence. We want to make sure that our content and editorial properties have editorial independence. And that comes not only with the tone of voice and the things they want to talk about, but also our visual cues and visual communications. So some of our artwork on the podcast doesn't map to the core Mm -hmm. brand. Some of our YouTube thumbnails have colors that are not in our color palette. Mm -hmm. And We think it's okay because we're actually optimizing the media properties for the channels they live on and and how audiences interact on those channels. We're not trying to retrofit our brand into those channels and like force it onto the audience. So it is a balance. Uh, But I do believe, you know, I, I, before HubSpot, I worked in brand marketing at a large national healthcare company. And I believe in those foundations, right? Like, the core messaging, the core positioning, the colors, the fonts, the um, photography, the the illustrations, the iconography. Let's make sure it's consistent so people know who we are. Uh, but I do think you need to give teams some flexibility when it comes to content assets mm-hmm. um, so that they're able to go connect with audiences um, and it doesn't feel like an ad. Mm-hmm. We've definitely, we've, like you saying all this, it's like we've had... Yeah, a lot of debates about this internally as well. Um, yeah. And it's been hard to like land on somewhere where, yeah, you have still have that recognizable consistency, uh, but still have that ability to be creative and like get people to engage. Um, sure. It, like it's something that I don't think you can have a blanket, which we've maybe discovered you can't really have a blanket rule on it. You kind of have to judge yep. each scenario as it arises. Yeah, when we the way we think about it too is like almost think of HubSpot as the publisher. Mm-hmm. Like HubSpot is the publisher, but there are media brands underneath every publisher, right? Like you have um, you have Vox Media and you have Vox, but you also have had Recode, you had Bleacher Report, you have all these other sub brands that cover given topics. Mm-hmm. I think Eater as well. But we want to make sure that the hustle can still be the hustle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want people to know it's brought to you by HubSpot. Sure. Like that, that helps, uh, as a touch point for our brand, but we don't want it to be HubSpot's newsletter because that's not what the audience is looking for. And so I think brands and, and marketing leaders that are comfortable 
with that slight separation and doing more light touch brand elements in their content are going to be more successful in the long mm-hmm. run. I really like that analogy. I'm going to take that away. <laughs> yeah. 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 Thank you. Um, and then, so lastly, um, based on kind of what you're seeing, uh, like out there at the moment, we ask this at the end of the podcast, everyone. So just interesting ways to sure. your takeaways is uh, what would you advise uh, other marketers to start doing now that maybe they're not doing? and to stop doing that they've maybe been doing and it's now time to time to stop. Yeah. So I, I think brands going forward are going to have to invest in always on content marketing, editorial products. Mm -hmm. Um, I realize based on your, you know, the size of your organization, that may be one, it may be one blog or one newsletter, um, or it may be a couple, or, or in, in our case, you know, a portfolio, but I would, I would make sure that you have an investment within your marketing strategy that is ongoing editorial, whether it's written in the form of a blog or newsletter or, um, multimedia. And I'm a, I'm a personal believer in YouTube. Mm-hmm. I think that is a platform marketers need to spend some time on. So invest in always on. And then the second piece to that is invest in the people to create the content. And I mean the people on camera. So we have partnerships with creators in the business category who attract audiences. They have credibility. They've done the job before. We want to put them on camera and we want audiences to say, oh, wow, like I learned something here and HubSpot helped me do that. Um, So we're very focused on the independent creators and kind of building shows around them. Um, An example I have is we have um, a podcast called Marketing Against the Grain. On this podcast, you have our CMO and you have the CMO of Zapier. They co-host the show together. They're senior marketers, right? Like at the end of the day, they've built careers as senior marketers and we turned them into podcasters. Mm -hmm. Because we, we have a producer and a team that knows how to pull out the insights and coach them to create something that's really engaging and exciting. And audiences are now attracted to that. And so I think that's the combination folks need to start doing. Invest in a media product and make sure that you're investing in the talent that's featured in that media product because mm-hmm. the talent's going to attract the audience over time. Mm-hmm. For things to stop doing... Right now, I'm hearing a lot of folks saying, like, stop doing the SEO listicle strategy because the generative AI experience is going to change in the SERPs. I don't think you want to bail on it right away. I think Google's still trying to figure out what does that search experience look like, and they're going to reward different types of content. So I think you still want to have the educational SEO stuff. Um, but I would say, and the one thing I would have marketers stop doing is totally relying on 30, 60, 90 day ad campaigns. Mm -hmm. Like you see a lot of brands say, okay, I'm going to go to market with a campaign and this campaign is going to grow my business. Mm -hmm. And it might, it might. And I think you see big consumer brands do that. Well, they have enough capital to do it. Well, right. Apple sells a ton of phones, uh, because they're able to run, um, uh, an entire campaign around the titanium iPhone uh, on TV, on digital, on, on, on pods and digital. Not every marketing company has or market, not every company and marketing team has that luxury. Mm-hmm. And so I, I try to tell folks who I work with that we need to have a balanced mix 
on always on and selective campaigns because mm-hmm. I see too many marketers and advertisers saying, we're just going to do the 90 day campaign and that thing's going to grow our business. And I don't think it it's going to help you long term. No, I, I really agree with that one. And uh, yeah, the first one's, um, yeah, super interesting as well. But yeah, we always, you got to have, we have that sort of always on all of the time campaigns going plus like some like what we would just call like big rock standout campaigns that we can yep. thread in over the top. Um, but like the always on is the bread and butter and like, yeah. Uh, and would and yeah. gets like the lion's share of the effort really because it has to yeah and when yeah and when you think about like your own consumption habits right um ads interrupt me mm-hmm. right i i'm on youtube trying to learn something and they flash an ad on mm-hmm. me and i'm waiting for that ticker to go down so i can skip it and get to the value mm-hmm. um and i think I, I'm, I'm not anti-YouTube ads. I think there is a place for them. But I do think, to your point, consumers want information, whether it's news or education, on an ongoing basis. I want to learn. And that, if you're the brand that helps teach people and helps them understand things, they're going to value that a lot more than the clever 30-second spot they saw, mm-hmm. um, especially in the B2B space. So I do think... From a resources and investment standpoint, investing in always on is going to help everyone long term. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, just be really selective in the ad campaigns. Mm-hmm. Love it. Great advice, Carl. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think uh, think that's us for today. But um, uh, yeah, really, really insightful. That was that was great. I think um, everyone will come away with loads of nuggets from that of, of information and some good tactics as well uh, to take away too and hopefully go out there and make uh, changes to help make their brands stick in the minds of of their of their ICP but um, yeah thanks again for joining us I really appreciate it it's been great of course yeah thanks for the thoughtful questions that was fun thanks